Welcome to What the Health is Up. We are so glad you joined us. My name is Victoria Odesi. And I'm Amanda Mohammed Strait. Victoria and I are both family medicine docs in Dallas, Texas, and we created this podcast because of so many shared interests that we have surrounding the community and public health. Yes. So we invite you to join in on our family conversations on health, social justice, and tips for a healthier self and community. And remember, none of this information should replace the recommendation of your doctor. Welcome to another episode of What the Health is Up. Hey, how's it going, Victoria? It's going good. (laughs) How are you? Good, good. Well, I know we wanted to give a special shout out to you, our listeners. Thanks for joining us and thanks for just all the love and support. As always, we hope that you guys are doing well. Definitely send us a message to let us know what you're doing to stay well. Definitely. We really want to hear from you. And we hope you gained a lot from our last episode. It was a pleasure to have Bill Bernstein on the show to increase our awareness of human trafficking. And now that we all know more, let's continue to be advocates for human rights in our community. So if you missed that episode, be sure to check it out. That was a great episode, and we thank um, Mr. Bernstein for joining us. So, oh, a lot's been going on, Victoria. Yeah. I know that you know we've both been kind of going back and forth and catching up on stuff, but um, I know that this episode we really did want to kind of highlight some tips maybe and you know how we've been dealing with burnout and just our daily routine um i know that personally with the covid pandemic spiking even more than ever before Mm -hmm. with the delta variant it's been a huge struggle just making for sure to isolate time day to day for you know much needed um, break from kind of the clinical yeah. day. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what are some things that you have been up to to kind of help with that balance and maybe some advice for listeners too that are just going through? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good question. I personally have had to turn down the noise. And so we're just saturated with so many crazy things going on in the world. And I'm someone that takes things in a lot. So I start thinking and start getting buried in my thoughts and start getting worried. But I'm learning to turn down the noise. I'm learning to find gratitude in the little things. Mm. So I'm thankful you know, for health. And then I'm trying to find joy in the little things too. So even thankful when people show up at work because people are burned out. Yeah. And so finding ways to support each other um, and just talking things out. Um, I'm someone that keeps things in a lot. And so I'm learning to just talk about it. Mm -hmm. I feel a certain way when I see something on the news or I feel a certain way about what's going on with COVID. And I'm learning to just talk about it. Letting it out um, helps. Mm -hmm. That's, That's what I'm doing. What about you? 
That's really great advice. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. I think it it helps tremendously talking it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I know personally for me too, you know, I feel like it's my mission to make for sure everyone knows all the information they need to yeah. know about this pandemic. And so mm-hmm. even from a patient to patient situation at work, um, sometimes it can be very hard and I kind of see it as my goal to mm-hmm. um, have someone tell me, oh, you know what, I will get vaccinated. Yeah. And then if that doesn't happen, I feel really defeated. And mm-hmm. then I carry that with me as, you know, as it continues to build throughout the week. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing that I've learned to try to implement is that just giving it your best you put yeah. forth the information and you really just hope that ultimately, regardless, it's their decision to make mm-hmm. and hopefully it's the best decision, um, which sometimes is easier said than done to not take that with you. But I've been trying to do a better job of just letting go of that. Um, yeah. So I think that that's been really helpful because otherwise it kind of snowballs into other things too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I agree though. I think that part of somewhat turning off the noise uh, for me is just doing what I have to do every day and then just kind of setting, um, you know, that expectation for myself of cutting that off at a certain Mm -hmm. time as well. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, it is important, you know, us definitely being clinicians and, you know, seeing people day to day. I know that, you know, you see people in the clinic all the time. You're also on inpatient service um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's in our face. So I know a lot of us are concerned about the rising cases and now it's actually exceeding or at least topping 100,000 per day in the U.S., uh, which I'm sure a lot of us never thought that we would see that again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember us talking about it was almost starting to get to the point where it was normal to say possibly post-COVID, you know, maybe we could say post-COVID, but then uh, not so much. So some of the rates, the highest rates since February of this year, and globally mm-hmm. there's about 240 million confirmed COVID cases and more than 4 million have died. And those numbers just continue to rise. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Is that someone's father, mother, sister, friend? You know, it's, it's really tough. And like you said, some months ago, we thought we were getting a break. And mm-hmm. now we see what's going on with the Delta variant and what it's doing in our communities and our hospitals and families and um but I one thing I know is that we can fight this together as a community if we come together in unity and so not making it about politics but about public health so what can I really do to be my brother's keeper or my sister's keeper Mm -hmm. what can I really do um to protect myself to protect my family to protect my community because right now it's not about me mm-hmm. and so like you mentioned earlier one of the ways we can protect ourselves and those we love is by getting vaccinated um, vaccination in general helps prevent severe disease um, hospitalization and reduces the risk of death mm-hmm. and um, you know there's so many myths out there um, yeah. I will tell you the vaccines do not change your DNA <laughs> yes 
They don't. And the side effects um, are pretty mild. Um, yeah. And you know, what are some other things you've heard about the, the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of people mention because maybe unfortunately they did get COVID that mm -hmm. they actually don't need the vaccine because they have their own antibodies. So mm -hmm. what's the point in getting it if I already had had it? Um, mm -hmm. So that's been coming up a lot. Um, I've also heard of recent, with the increasing cases from the Delta variant, many people have been saying that those that are vaccinated are the ones that are spreading COVID. Um, but what I feel like a lot of people don't understand is that the numbers and the data that we're getting in the hospitals are incidental findings because mm -hmm. you have people that have been hospitalized for other reasons and they just so happen mm -hmm. to be testing for COVID. Um, and then there's also contact tracing going on. So the numbers that we're getting are not from those that are in the hospital severely ill and dying of COVID. These are people that just so happen to have been tested for COVID. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so I've heard those like more recently, um, but as you mentioned, you know, some of the myths that you've heard too are still out there as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and definitely we, we want our listeners to be well-informed, well-educated, and please check out the resources. You know, CDC has um, a good vaccination information page. The World Health Organization also has um, resources that we can look into. And just talking to your physician, talking to your friends who have received the vaccine, family members. Yeah. And I know that the FDA just um, recently, you know, approved the Pfizer vaccine too. So it's been found to be safe and I'm sure the other one will be coming along shortly. So mm -hmm. research, be well informed, don't make it about politics or religion, make it about public health, make it about, you know, unity and being there to support your fellow human. Yeah, well said, that's perfect. Um, but we do have information on our Instagram page at what the health is up, but please, please talk to your doctor for medical advice or reach out to us and we'll be happy to provide you with resources. And most of all, just please stay safe, everybody. Yeah, please do. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about um, Food insecurity, we want to find out what the hell is up with food insecurity. Why is it happening? How is it affecting the health of our community? And what we can do about it. So um, food insecurity is an, is an important social determinant of health. And before we go into it, let's briefly define social determinants of health. Social determinants of health are the social, economic, physical, and other conditions where people live, learn, work, and play that influence their health. And according to the Department of Health and Human Services, there are five domains of um, social determinants of health. And these are education, access and quality, healthcare and quality, neighborhood and built environment, social and community context, and economic stability. Mm -hmm. And so poverty and food insecurity fall under economic stability. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
And so when we talk about what it is, what is food insecurity, the USDA or the US Department of Agriculture, they define food insecurity as a household level economic and social condition of limited or uncertain access to adequate food. So it's a lack of consistent access to enough food for an active, healthy life. So mm -hmm. it may seem pretty shocking, but about 11% of households in the US were food insecure in 2018. And the goal of the Health and Human Services um, is to reduce this by 6% in 2030. Um, one thing that I found, you know, really important to distinguish, I think, you know, definitely both of us did, is that the definition of food insecurity is different from hunger, because hunger can refer more to a personal, physical sensation of discomfort, while, as defined from before, food insecurity refers to a lack of available financial resources for the food at the household level. So if you've ever felt hunger before, you can think you know, of a person unintentionally being in that state or not knowing really where their next meal is gonna come from, but that's a result or like they call it a symptom of you know, food insecurity. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really important just to know the difference. And from a global perspective, like we always bring forth on our podcast, the current estimates show that nearly 690 million people are actually hungry or 8.9% of the world population. That's, that's insane to me. That's a lot of people. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people. And, you know, with the pandemic, as we were just discussing, you know, I mean, those numbers are definitely impacted by COVID as well. Mm -hmm. So the world is not on track to achieve zero hunger, which is a United Nations estimate or sustainable goal by 2030. But um, if recent trends actually continue, the number of people who are affected by hunger is actually going to go more than 840 million by 2030. Okay. So that's a lot. That's a lot of numbers. I know it can seem very overwhelming to read that. But we will certainly get to things that what we, what we can do in our community to kind of help combat that. Um, mm -hmm. When we look into Texas, 14% um, of you know, Texans actually experience food insecurity. So if you think about that, that's one in seven Texans and 1.4 million Texas households. So that's over about 4 million individuals. Um, so, you know, when you think about, you know, just you know, one in four children experiencing hunger, um, that's about 20% of, you know, children or even 11% of households with seniors in Texas face food insecurity. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot to really do. Um, I know that, you know, we've talked about this before, Victoria, but how screening is so important, like in yeah. our clinical setting. Um, to make for sure, as you mentioned from before, right, social determinants of health, like we ask these questions, because a lot of patients are not really, they're not going to be telling you these things, we have to really seek these questions out and make sure that our patients are comfortable discussing this. Mm -hmm. um, but there are two categories of um, food, you know, security or insecurity, um, low food security and very low food security. So low food security means that there's a report of reduced quality, variety, or the desirability of diet, little or no indication of a reduction in the food intake. So that's low food security. 
Um, so versus when you look at a very low food security means that there's multiple indications of a disruption in the eating patterns, like day-to-day -day eating patterns and a reduction of the food intake. So there's similarities between those two, but the main thing is, you know, what um, the level of disruption is and the amount of uh, the type of food and the quality of food, the desirability that plays a role. Um, and there are ranges of food insecurity as well. And we'll put this information, you know, definitely in the text of the podcast so that you all can find these resources that we were able to look more into. But mm -hmm. there's a pyramid scheme, so to speak, of the different levels of food security. Um, so if we start with high food security, those are households that have had no problems um, or anxiety about consistently having access to good food. Marginal food security is underneath that. And that means that households have had problems or anxiety at times about the access to good food um, and their, their quantity of food, however, is not really substantially reduced. And then, as I mentioned just from before, low food security, meaning that households have a reduced quality, variety, and desirability from their diet um, and normal eating patterns that are not really disrupted. And then ultimately, the very low food security is when people have um, various times during the year eating patterns where one or more household members have a disruption in their food intake reduced because the household, let's say, lacked money or other resources for food, so the financial component. This is really important um, for us to know. And it's also very important for us to know what makes a person at risk you know, for food insecurity. And there, there are so many reasons, but we can start with like economic, so economic or employment status. Um, that kind of defines someone's income level. And so there's a really good article that um, discusses the relationship between unemployment insurance and food insecurity among people who lost their jobs during the COVID-19 pandemic in a period when the federal unemployment insurance supplement was in place. And so it was found that about 40% um, about of those living in households earning less than 75,000 and employed in February, 2020, experienced unemployment during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so, of, of those who lost their jobs, 31% of them reported food insecurity and 33% reported eating less due to financial constraints. Um, food insecurity peaked in April, 2020 and declined over time, but began to increase again among people receiving unemployment insurance during the final wave of the survey, which was um, ahead of the federal supplement to an unemployment insurance pending. So food insecurity and eating less were more common among people who were non-white, lived in lower income households, who were younger and who were sexual or gender minorities. And um, another, so we, we've talked about the employment and the income. Another, um, another factor that makes a person at risk is um, where they live. So their neighborhood and their environment. And one of the first things we can look into is a lack of investment in certain environments. So 
why are there no grocery stores in certain places? And there's a lot in other, you know, areas of town. Mm-hmm. And so why don't companies invest in certain areas? And they report high, high crime, low income, they won't make money, which are things that have been debunked by um, a study highlighting several areas. Of, um, and I'm talking about Dallas now, mm-hmm. Southern Dallas, where spending is enough to make a local grocery store profitable, but there's still a lot of excuses for why they haven't put um, grocery stores in some of these areas. Um, there's also structural barriers in these neighborhoods. So we have things like food deserts, which are geographical areas where um, they, they have limited access to healthy food. Or food swamps, which are geographical areas where there's an overabundance of less healthy food and beverages. So um, for example, where, we're at, where we are right now in Texas, um, in 2018, the USDA, which is a Department of Agriculture, identified about 88 separate food deserts in Dallas County. Mm-hmm. And over half of them were in three southern portions of Dallas. And in these areas, the best option for food is either a corner store or a dollar store, which are both more expensive and less nutritious. And the last thing I would say in terms of risk is also transportation. So if you um, are someone that has difficulty getting to a grocery store, maybe because of income or age or safety of the environment, there's also a high risk of um, food insecurity. Mm-hmm. And these are uh, multiple barriers that affect people getting enough to, you know, enough to eat and enough to support their health. And these are things that can be addressed with just with societal changes. Mm-hmm. No, that's really, really true. And, you know, all of this affects health in so many different ways. Uh, one thing that we came across was a report from the Healthy People Initiative that showed that adults who are food insecure may be at an increased risk for so many um, varieties of negative health outcomes and health disparities. So for example, there was a study that found that food insecure adults may be at an increased risk for obesity. And also we know that people who are taking medications for blood sugar, for example, can risk life-threatening consequences if they don't have enough food. And again, I know that we've both had those types of experiences with patients that, um, you know, maybe you know, you could be under the assumption that they may have enough food or, you know, they're taking their medications um, as instructed, but they may not be doing it properly. And then they could Mm -hmm. have, for example, with diabetics, a low blood sugar because they're taking all their medicine, but they may not have the food. And so Mm -hmm. there's lots of things to consider. Another study found higher rates of chronic diseases in low income food insecure adults between the ages of 18 and 65. So food insecure children may also be at an increased risk for a variety of negative health outcomes, including um, higher risk for poor development and obesity. In addition, they have reduced frequency, quality, variety, and a quantity of consumed foods that may have a negative effect on their overall mental health. So Mm -hmm. if you just look at the whole concept of what we've discussed about food insecurity, and that 
definition of being an inadequate access to food because of the financial constraints. Mm -hmm. You can see all the areas that, you know, Victoria was highlighting and what I was just mentioning too, of how health can impact everything. So if you're not mm -hmm. taking in enough of your nutri nutrients, you know, you have an increased risk for various chronic diseases, like let's say diabetes, hypertension, coronary artery disease, and that increases your risk, let's say for even a woman that's trying to become pregnant, negative pregnancy mm -hmm. outcomes. Um, the long-term effects of the child of having, let's say, socio-emotional and cognitive and motor functioning difficulties, that also increases the risk for negative mental health impacts. So depression, suicide, substance misuse. And overall, when you look at all of those impacts on you know, health um, and what it does regarding food insecurity, the total healthcare costs will increase steadily with increased severity of household food insecurity. So it's yeah. a big, a big impact. Definitely. And I'm sure, like you mentioned, Amanda, we're seeing things like this in our clinics and we are looking for ways where even in the healthcare system, we're addressing the societal factors. And I'll say one thing I know I'm personally trying to do is if I'm taking care of someone who has diabetes, part of my questions, I'm also screening for food insecurity, housing insecurity, and I know you're doing the same as well, because we know that so if you don't have adequate resources or adequate access to things you need, it's going to affect how you manage your health. And so if I'm expecting that we're working together to take care of your blood sugar and I don't realize you don't have enough food, I might cause you some damage. Or I don't realize that you don't have a place to live or steady income, then I don't know you well enough to take good care of you. So it's important that we are, um, that we're addressing uh, this in our clinic. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you wanna add there, Amanda? Cause I know you do that as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, Victoria. I think that's, yeah, you said it. I mean, just like what you mentioned, I think screening for, um, you know, various types of, you know, inequities and um, equitable aspects is important mm -hmm. because, like I mentioned, I feel like that's not something initially a patient's going to share with you, um, especially like as they're starting into a new clinic, or even if some people who've been there for a while, it could just be something that they're not comfortable sharing with you. So that's, it's really critical for, you know, you and your patient to have that connection, but also even just knowing where to go. So when we, once we have the information, now what's the next step and what can we do to try to um, you know, eliminate the barriers that are in place. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I completely agree with you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the conversation, you know, it can be daunting in some ways, but it is important to have them. Um, mm -hmm. I think that once we do, I think both of us can say that, you know, you've had experience with patients that are just so thankful that you asked mm -hmm. instead of assuming that they're not compliant and labeling them as uncompliant because of that. Um, so Correct. yeah. Correct. And, and like you said, um, it's important that we ask about this. And I also want people listening to know that they can also talk to their physicians about it. And so when you go and you get your um, annual visits or you're going for your regular checkups, if there are things that are you, you don't have access to that 
affects how you manage your health condition, you should be able to speak with your physician about it. And I'm sure they'll be able to work with you to identify resources. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us too, we're, we will provide resources um, in the description as well. So if you want to learn more about services that can assist um, with food insecurity. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what we can do. You know, how can we address the inequitable access to nutrition and food insecurity as a society? And first of all, we need to know that this exists. We need to know the barriers, the opportunities, and how to advocate. So wherever you fall in that food um, security pyramid, there's something that you can do. Mm -hmm. And so some of the barriers we talked about include you know, insufficient income, high food prices. So going to a grocery store can be more expensive than getting uh, a meal that's like 79 cents burger somewhere. And you, know, you want someone to eat a little healthier. So let's work on food prices. Um, poor infrastructure, systemic racism, um, unre unreliable food supply, lack of investment in low-income communities, and lack of access to cultivatable land. And there are, um, so as we talk about barriers, there are opportunities too, right? And so talking to our lawmakers about what they're doing about this issue. So this is something we're aware of now. What are you doing to reduce food insecurity in our communities. Um, for those in healthcare, you can screen for food insecurity um, where you work so that you can provide additional resources for the people you take care of. And for those who are not in healthcare or who just wanna speak out about it, you can advocate in your own little way, whether it's putting something on social media to um, increase awareness, reaching out to your lawmakers, or just finding out what is going on in your local community. And like you said, as individuals, and um, when we were talking about the statistics and there can be things that seem daunting and overwhelming, like what can you do to make an impact? And there's actually a lot you can do, um, the power of one. And so sometimes just sitting down and asking some hard questions can really, um, allow for you to brainstorm some ways that you can help. So maybe asking a question like what you mentioned to Victoria about maybe why do certain communities have more resources than others? Um, you know, looking into that, you know, there are many studies about how systemically racism exists in certain communities to keep out, you know, good, you know, food, for example, or even schools mm -hmm. and things like that we've talked about from before. So asking that maybe how can we undo those structural limitations? Um, time is important. So putting in that time and effort for our neighbors you know, making for sure that, you know, if we are, you know, passionate about trying to advocate for um, bringing down, you know, the numbers for those that are food insecure in our communities, you know, making sure we're putting in the time and effort to do so and reaching out to our leaders, for example, like Victoria mm -hmm. said. So what do our leaders stand for? 
Are we just electing people for the sake of electing them? Do we really know what their stance is? If you don't, you know, you can go and visit them. You have the right yeah. to visit them in their offices and ask them those questions, write them letters. Um, why are our grocery store chains, you know, as Victoria said, only setting up in certain communities? And what are, you know, the responses that have been debunked? You know, are there initiatives that you know of that can provide solutions? Like I said, you know, the power of one, there are a lot of people who only started out as, you know, just one person having an idea and they've led to many changes within their community. Yeah. And just how we can love on our communities too. Um, there's so, so many different ways. And we know that a lot of our listeners have probably just amazing, amazing ideas that we would also love to hear about. And so you can advocate by learning and increasing awareness through your own platform, you know, social media, through your job, mm -hmm. through um, your friend network, your church, wherever. Um, but as, you know, what was said from before, you know, just kind of finding out what's going on with food insecurity in your own area um, is important. And then that kind of can catapult you into a direction. Supporting organizations also through donation and volunteering uh, has definitely been a way to open up, you know, your mind to other uh, platforms as well. I know the North Texas Food Bank was always mm -hmm. something that I, you know, would do. And I know you've had experience with too, Victoria. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, just things like that. I, I think that there's just always something for anyone to do. So you can, if you have an interest, you definitely can reach out and learn more. Yeah. For sure. And if you or someone you know is experiencing food insecurity, um, there are resources to help. And most of these resources are local or national. And for our listeners, please share any resources you know of in other countries on our social media or send us an email so we can share with others so we can, we can help people out. Yeah, exactly. And just a few other local resources that we've uncovered. Um, Feeding America is a really great resource. Mm -hmm. The North Texas Food Bank, as I just mentioned, and other local food banks in your area, faith-based groups, Meals on Wheels, uh, food pharmacies. It, it's amazing. I know that Victoria can talk more about this too from a local um, you know, perspective, but ProMedica is an example. Did you want to go into that, Victoria, and tell our yeah, listeners? Yeah, sure. So I, I found out about this um, ProMedica food pharmacy. Um, it's a health system, and they actually, their clinicians can write a um, prescription for food for their patients, and they're able to go to their food pantry and get healthy meals. And they have noticed how this has improved the health of their patients, even reducing emergency room utilization and hospitalizations. And so if other health systems are able to embrace things like that or are able to find funding to get things like that um, for our patients and our communities, I'm sure that would also make a, make a difference. Yeah, that's great. I think that if you, just like you said, if more, um, if more organizations can do that, that would be on the grounds work to help prevent yeah. so many things. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, major shout out for ProMedica and other food yeah. pharmacies across the nation. 
Um, of course, the CDC is a great resource as well, and the Food and Agriculture um, Organization of the UN, the World Food Program, is also a great um, resources to look into. So I know this is um, this is a very important topic, and this is especially with what's going on in um, our society right now with the pandemic and with um, globally things going on in Afghanistan and Haiti um, that's coming to mind right now. And um, we are we're thinking of those countries. We are we you know we just pray everything goes well. Um, and when we say that, we just hope for, for peace and unity and for uh, hope for a better, for better days. We don't know how things are gonna play out, mm -hmm. but we know when things like this are happening. So when there's war and when there's disaster, there's mm -hmm. food insecurity as well. Mm -hmm. And so all this, the, the, as we're talking about this today, I'm remembering all these places and I'm re remembering it's happening here, it's happening all over the world. Mm -hmm. And when you are in a place where you can provide some support, go ahead and, and do it. Whether it's support through your advocacy, through your volunteering, through your donations, through you know just thinking kindly for someone or praying for someone, whatever it is, um, we all have a, a role to play. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, you know, I'm, I don't know why, but I just feel like when we talk about social determinants of health, it's an ongoing thing that's affecting everyone in the world and everything mm -hmm. that happens every day, you see how it affects the health and the well-being of people. And so this is just one of the topics that, you know, goes with social determinants of health, but it's one that's very important as we sit and reflect but there are things that we can do to, to help our community. Very, very true. Um, and it is important for us to have a community where we can discuss these things. And yeah. being able to do that opens a window of opportunity in many other realms. Um, so I do emphasize that so much that, you know, one individual can make an impact and that can, you know, definitely have a domino effect in many other areas uh, that are sometimes not talked about. And we definitely want to be a platform that does talk about these things, um, sometimes uncomfortable conversations, but they're necessary to have. We don't want to mm -hmm. ignore things. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I know that, Victoria, we were talking about was... Um, potentially our listeners sending out a shout out message mm -hmm. to people in our community um, that are doing awesome, awesome work to improve health equity and the social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we would love to feature them. So mm -hmm. there is a way for us to do that right? is through a voice message. And so we're going to add a link for a voice message um, in our episode description. And we would love to hear from you all. And it'll go through you know, the steps and how you can submit a voice message to us. But the primary things just to kind of remember is that you'll tell us your name, where you're you know, kind of doing the voice message from, where you're from mm -hmm. and who you're shouting out. And tell us specifically how the person or the organization is making an impact in the community. And so okay. we cannot wait 
to hear more. Um, another thing too, is that you can certainly send us an email, uh, then we can announce the organization that you're shouting out on the podcast as well. Uh, but yeah, we would definitely love to hear from you all regarding um, today's episode. And yeah, anything else you wanted to add, Victoria? Um, no, right now, I think this, um... We are, as always, just grateful for our, the support we get from our listeners. And um, I also just believe that they have great hearts. And so we can't wait to hear from them and the people that are shouting out and how they are um, also contributing to making, to addressing social determinants of health in their communities. So mm-hmm. thank you all for the work that you're doing too. Yes, completely agree. And we're so happy that you joined us again for today's episode. And just remember, if you haven't gotten vaccinated, you know, please speak to your doctor or medical professional about the benefits of vaccination. And until our next episode, please stay safe, happy, and healthy. Please be sure to stay connected with us so you can get the latest information regarding our next episode. Thanks again for tuning in.